Welcome to the Whole City Melt Show. My guest today is Reverend Sean Wettigdom, ordained exorcism deliverance minister, co-founder of Ghost Be Gone Biz, the ministry, over 40 years of experience in the field of paranormal investigations and spiritual warfare, host of the live online paranormal radio show, Vegas Supernatural. And hi, Sean. How are you? I am doing great. Um, Hallsworthy Mark Anthony Rains Ghostman. It's a pleasure to speak with you this evening. Now, can you explain what you mean by exorcism? Well, hmm, there's a lot of bad things out there that are, for lack of a better term, hell-bent on taking over the living, taking over the human shell uh, of people, destroying their souls, taking them, uh, taking over their bodies. And, you know, now we're learning in my field that if you lose the battle, if you know somebody is extremely oppressed and in the process of being possessed, if it if you lose that battle and it goes too far, now we suspect that sometimes they can have complete integration and the soul of the person that was once there is gone forever and now what has inhabited that shell is now this new invading, unclean, unholy spirit and then they're free to do whatever they want to do because that's their goal is to get into body form and their hate for us is just so... I don't think I can adequately put it into words, the the uh, degree of hate they have for us. So they're, they're you know, they just want to destroy, uh, destroy us and, and take us over. And so exorcism, I'm usually called in on cases, uh, severe extreme demonic attacks happening in a home and somebody in the family is expected of being uh, a target for possession, if not already possessed. And it's all about uh, showing up and helping the family draw their line in the sand, make a stand, and fight back. And uh, they're just like paranormal gangsters and bullies. Most of the time, they go when you fight back, especially if you do it out of love and light and in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's pretty much what my wife and I have been doing for the past almost, well, we're going to celebrate our 16th wedding anniversary in September, and we started ghostbegone.biz right after we uh, met, fell in love, and got married. We both had a passion for this, and so, um, that's what I, that's what exorcism means. We're trying to ward off, expel send the invading unclean spirit that's trying to take over someone's soul and someone's body on their way and preferably send them to the foot of the cross for Jesus Christ to deal with. Now I presume that you have done some kind of training or learning to do this? You know, uh, I'll be honest with you, when I was 10 years old uh, I started ghost busting for my first case was in my sister's home. 
mom gave me the speech that I was going to see a lot of spirits growing up and not to be afraid of them. They were just people that didn't have a body anymore. And ask them what they need of you if you, they, you know, if they present themselves to you, ask them what they want of you. And if you can help, help them. If you can't, then tell them you can't and, and ask them to please be on their way. How my mother knew this, I, I didn't know, but uh, it wasn't shortly after that that I started to experience things, but I went many, many, many years without ever really running into anything extremely malevolent or dark. And it wasn't until after my wife and I got married that um, we ran into um, these types of cases and that made me, it kind of steered me in the direction to reach out for help and learn how to handle these cases because I didn't have any experience in that. And I met the right people who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And they took me under their wing and they trained me. And uh, one was a deacon, one was a priest, an exorcist. They're both exorcists. And um, I got ordained through Agape Christian University and the American Association of Exorcists. And since that time, yes, that's pretty much all I, the kinds of cases that I work now. But I have to tell you, Mark, every morning I wake up, I pray that I never have to work another one of those cases again. They're very ugly. Um, and um, even when you win, you lose a little bit of yourself. The client loses a little bit of themselves. No one's ever the same. And it's just a very, very ugly type of situation. So uh, every day I pray that I never have to work another case like that. What is the worst case you've ever come across? Well, I'm going to have to say uh, an exorcism case that I had. Well, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, do you want me to give you the abridged version, or do you want me to just lay it's it on you? It's entirely up to you, Sean. It's... Well, I, I want to I wanna warn people that this is nothing to play around with that my wife and I both came under extreme demonic attack after working our very first case dealing with the demonic. And she was the strongest person I knew. Didn't drink, didn't smoke, no history of cancer in her family. And the attack left her with two very rare forms of cancer, which we're still fighting to this day. And it shook me up quite a bit to where I actually left the field the first time for several months. But the attacks continued and I needed help. So I reached out, got the help, started getting the training, started working cases. And um, I would have to say the very first case, which was in our home here that left my wife uh, with the two forms of cancer was our, our worst case. But a close second would have to be my attack during another case, which was so severe that I actually left the field for about a year. It was really frightening, and um, I couldn't wrap my head around it, and it took a long time to uh, get back in the saddle, so to speak. But um, the one that, that turned my life around was um, a single mother called me one night 
said that her young boy came home from school very scared one day, and uh, he explained to her that a little boy came up to him in a park and wanted to play with him, but he thought that there was something very odd and unusual about this young boy, and none of the other kids could see the boy, which understandably freaked the kid out. And the kid ran home, told his mom, and he also told his mom that the little boy followed him home. So the mom, just being a mom, thinking, you know, maybe there's some weird kid stalking her son, she went out in the yard, looked all over the place. There was no kid to be found. She started to suspect maybe her son was, you know, playing a game or had an imaginary friend. But she was, you know, concerned that he seemed truly uh, in distress. Well... Later that night, about 3 in the morning, it's always 3 in the morning, uh, her son crawled into bed with her, and all of a sudden she realized how frigid cold it was in the room, and how um, bad all of a sudden her son smelled. So she jumped out of bed and turned on the light to see you know, what was going on with him, and there was nobody in the bed. So that morning when her son came to breakfast, she asked him, did you crawl into bed with me last night, honey? And he said, uh, no, mommy, that was the little boy. And she goes, what little boy? He said, the little boy that I told you about. He's here in the house now. She goes, how did he get in the house? I let him in. How did you do that? Well, I was up having a late night snack, and he knocked on the back door and asked if he could come in, and I let him in. You know, this is a 10-year-old boy. He doesn't know any better. But... From that moment on, things got very bad, and it escalated very quick. So I tried to counsel the mother the best I could on what I think she should do until I could get to her. But, you know, I have a day job, and um, I came home one night from my day job, and she uh, had left numerous messages for me, very distraught. You need to come now. There's something wrong with my son. It's not my son anymore. Please come. So in the middle of the night, my, my wife's sick at the time, you know. I, I left on my own, which was not a good idea, but I went over to the house. And as I drove up, I see a woman sitting on the curb in front of her house in just a bathrobe, nothing else. You know, uh, obviously upset. I know this is the house. So I get out. And uh, she tells me, what's upstairs is not my son. He tried to kill my other son, which was 13. And I sent my son out of the house to go stay with the neighbor. But you need to go in there and find out what's going on for me. So I went into the house. And uh, the child was upstairs. She goes, he's top bedroom, the top of the stairs. You can't miss it. This moment I walked into the house, I knew something was wrong because... You know, I had the goosebumps all over. I had the hair standing on end. You could see my breath. It was, it, we're in the middle of summer here in Vegas. And it was like she had the, or the inside of her house was the inside of a walk-in freezer. Terrible smell as if something died in the home. So I walked up to the house and I couldn't get into the bedroom. Well, the young boy, once I got in there, I realized the young boy by himself had taken the bunk beds and wedged them up against his bedroom door, which was a pretty, you know, a pretty good feat for a 10-year-old. 
Somehow I wedged my way into the bedroom and I see the little boy sitting in an Indian position in the far corner from me looking down at the floor. So I start to approach him and he looks up at me and I thought that I was, they, the woman didn't tell me there was someone else in the house because I was staring at what appeared to be a 90, 100 year old man if he was a day old, a very old man sitting in the corner. And then uh, it hit me. Uh, when, when the attacks come, they're quick, they're brutal, they're relentless, and they're deliberate to just cripple you. And it was the same attack that came upon me that I had had several cases before that caused me to quit the field for about a year. So I knew I was in trouble. I dropped to my knees because I had no strength. And um, when I came to, I was kneeling in the desert. And people have to understand that things are going to happen to you in the paranormal ministry if you choose to take this on, if you feel you're being called for this. Things are going to happen to you that you can't wrap your mind around, that you think you're losing your mind and you think you're hallucinating or dreaming or maybe even dead. I thought maybe I'd had a stroke or somebody mugged me. I didn't know what I was, and I really truly believed I was in the desert. But I could look across from me and there was this old man still sitting Indian position in the desert with me. I knew that I hadn't left the house at all, but we were transported somewhere. And then a shadow came over me to my right. And I looked over, and there was Jesus Christ on the cross. And I realized that I was on Calvary, and the feeling that came over me was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. I remember... One time when I was a young kid, I got chased home from school by some bullies. And they were so much older than me, and there was three of them. And I was truly in fear of my life and thought they were going to beat me to death if they caught me. And my father worked about an hour and a half away. But this one day, hey, I'm running down the street, and he pulled up out of nowhere, decided to leave work early. And he pulled up, and uh, I think it would probably be inappropriate to tell you what he did to these three bullies that were chasing me, but the feeling that I had when I crawled over to the cross and touched it was that feeling as though my father had arrived to protect me and help me against the bullies. Um, everything you've come to believe that Christ looks like on the cross is not true. He's unrecognizable. He looks like a slab of battered meat hanging on a tree. Unrecognizable as a human being, but you know who it is. I helped myself up to my feet, and I remember getting on my tippy toes and kissing Christ on his left foot. And to this day, whenever I look at a crucifix, I always look at the feet because I remember that Christ's left foot was over his right foot. And when I kissed his foot, I can to this day remember the taste in my mouth of the dry blood 
and the dirt and the mud that I got off of his foot when I kissed it. But the moment I kissed his foot, uh, I just knew what to do. It was like the Holy Spirit took me over. I turned around, I walked right over to the old man, and I could see beyond him down a trail. There were several hooded figures and some black dogs. And I've worked cases with these black dogs before, so the light went on. Um, they look like a, um, a black German Shepherd that's got some hyena in it. And they don't make any sound, but they do a lot of scooting on their rear end. And they ooze out this um, black tar out of their rear ends all over the place, like they're marking. But the hooded figures, I couldn't see their faces, and they didn't say anything. But I knew, well, that's hell, because behind me is my Savior. And I realized that this old man at my feet is this young boy, and he's about to be taken to hell. So I dropped to my knees right in front of him, and I just started pouring holy water all over his head, all over my hands, and washing his feet in holy water, running my hands, which are drenched in holy water, through his hair. And I must have said the Our Father 50 times at least. And then all of a sudden he looked up at me, and it was the young boy again. And all of a sudden I realized we were back in his bedroom. And the look he gave me and the look I gave him, there, we didn't speak a word, but we could tell that something miraculous had happened. And um, we just held each other and cried. I helped him up to his feet. We walked out. We walked downstairs. His mother was there looking at us. The look on her face was something miraculous has happened. Um, you talk about extreme divine intervention. Uh, that's it off the charts. And all I could think to do was say, is anybody hungry? Let's order pizza. And I ordered pizza from the Papa John's right down the street. They delivered. We sat there. We ate pizza. We didn't say a word, and when it was time for me to go, I left, and um, the woman retrieved her older son, and they moved out, I believe, the following day, or maybe 48 hours later, they had moved out and back to Los Angeles to stay with family, and I'm in contact with them all the time. Life's great. They're, they were Catholic, so they're all back to going to church well, confession once a week, mass once a week, and receive the Holy Eucharist, Holy Communion once a week. And they're just all trying to be the best versions of themselves as they can every day. And, you know, love their fellow man, be humble, um, try to make, try to leave the world a better place because of something they might contribute than it is now, because we do live in a very ugly world. But that changed my life. And so I knew that, well, I already knew that I was meant to do this, but I really, really knew then, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that not only did something always have my back and to never fear anything again, even death, but that I'm exactly doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm exactly at the stage in my life where I'm supposed to be uh, to this day. I think I read somewhere, and I, please correct me if I'm wrong, that you, like me, 
have had a near-death experience. Yes, absolutely. Well, my wife is a two-time near-death experience survivor, and she came back from both of her episodes extremely sensitive to spirit. I commonly refer to her as my human dowsing rods, so she's invaluable to me when we go on cases. But my near-death experience came during that demonic attack I spoke to you about uh, several cases before that, and um, young, here we go again, it's usually a single mother with a young child who was under attack. This was a little different though, her child had autism, and would sleepwalk, started sleepwalking out of the blue um, one day, and her mother would find her sitting upright on the floor in the middle of the living room in the pitch dark and would always tell her mother the same thing. Grandma came to visit and is trying to protect me from the man with no face. Well, the little girl didn't know her grandmother, didn't even know that she had a grandmother. Her grandmother passed many, many years before she was born. And like I said, she was autistic. So the mother didn't really have that talk with her about her, you know, missing family members that had passed on before her. So that was a red flag, and the mother reached out to me to come and help. And I made several visits there, and this was actually the third visit. But you have to understand, these were like a series of cases. There was about nine of them in a row. Uh, and they were all demonic cases. And everybody, all my clients, knew each other either professionally or personally, and they all knew me, and they were all calling me in on these cases. Many, many years later, I come to figure out that it was all a setup, and I was meant to work all these cases, and I was being led to this attack. But the once again, the attack came very swift. Everybody was in the living room. It's about one in the morning. It's pitch black. They're all sitting very quietly in the living room, and I hear a noise in the master bedroom. And I'm walking down the hallway, and a mass, darker than the dark, standing in the doorway. The moment I noticed it, I didn't even have a chance to react. It was on me. And I lost all hearing, sight. I couldn't speak. And I was frozen. And my, I was just frozen as if a giant had grabbed me with his hand and was holding me in place and just squeezing the life out of me. It actually felt as though I was being bent over backwards and lifted in the air a little bit. But what I could hear was what sounded like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tortured souls just moaning and groaning and crying out for help. And I could smell, it was the first time I really got um, the smell, which is... Um, once again, I, I don't think I can adequately put it into words what this smell is, but in this field, you know when it's the demonic. And uh, I just was in such excruciating pain as if somebody or several people were jabbing me with cattle prods. Uh, it was just not good, and I, I really felt like I was being drugged to hell. And I, I heard a voice. I heard a voice, a woman's voice say to me, 
Pray, dummy, pray. Now, I argue with my mentor about this all the time because it sounded like her, and she can do astral projecting and knows when her pupils are in trouble. She says, well, it could have been me, but I think it was my guardian angel. And so I started praying, and once again, my go-to prayer is always the Our Father. And on that particular night, I might have said it a hundred times, but I all of a sudden woke up. And now I'm on my back on the bed in the master bedroom, and I have no recollection of how I got from the start of the hallway at the other end of the house into the master bedroom. Something took me in there. But what, I, what was really shocking was when I sat up, I realized that I had urinated and defecated in my pants, which I hadn't done since I was a little kid. So I knew that something so awful and so terrible had reached into my very soul and was about to take it somewhere uh, for good that I think my body just let go because uh, my psyche knew that it was over, that I was done. And that was probably moments before I heard the voice of my guardian angel. So um, I got up, I was very embarrassed, I was wearing a letterman jacket at the time, and I took it off and wrapped it around my waist because I was embarrassed. And I just walked out and I excused myself and told everybody, you know, it's quiet, it's very quiet tonight, nothing's happening. Why don't we all go home and get some sleep? I'm going to take my whatever evidence I have and go home. And I never shared with them what happened. I did eventually, years later, share with the mother what had happened. And uh, she said, you know, we never knew what happened to you because you did just disappear and not make a sound for about 30 minutes. And we were too scared to come looking for you because we're in the dark and we were already frightened, but she was so upset uh, to hear what had happened to me. And that case, I left the field for about a year. I was done. I actually packed my bags and I said, I'm done. And, um, so that was my, um, my, my, uh, big, what I consider my near-death experience at the hand of the demonic, but the, the night that I had the vision of Jesus Christ, I believe was a close second. If, um, Jesus hadn't come to my aid that night, I don't think you and I would be talking today. Well, mine is a little bit different. I, um went into a coma because I had a blood sugar count of one two four when they got it at the time. I was in a coma for three weeks. And whilst I was in the coma I heard a woman's voice I'd not heard before or since telling me to wake up and I had a, an overwhelming feeling to wake up. I seriously believe that was my spirit guide or guardian angel. And also when I was in my coma I was neither in the real world or the next realm. And that's why I like to call myself, a.k.a. Ghostman. That's so funny. I was going to ask you that very question. How'd you get that nickname? That's a, uh, that's a wonderful story. So you, you know that you were meant to still be here, correct? Yes, I, I gathered that. And that's what it sparked, obviously sparked my interest in the paranormal. I had no real interest in paranormal before then. But I've been drawn more and more to it. I've, my main thing I started into was cryptozoology 
and I've sort of left that behind a little bit and I've been drawn in more and more into the paranormal world. Are you, uh, would you consider yourself a religious person? As well, I, I, I believe, my, this is my theory, so don't be offended. I'm not offended, sir, absolutely not. My theory is that God is like a white energy force. And when we die, our light joins him like a hive. And possibly that God could be a schizophrenic. I'll reiterate why I think that. Because they, I think it says in the Bible, I'm not quoting it word for word, that man is made in the God's image. And we are both good and evil. And I seriously believe that if you give out good in the world, you get good back. And if you give out evil, you get evil back. Well said. Well said. And I'm not offended at all. You know, um, I respect everybody's belief system, whatever it be. It's, it's, um, I'll tell you, since I've been doing this, I have probably had somebody from every walk of life and every religious belief system come to me for help. My first question is always, are you Catholic? No, I'm Muslim, or I'm Jewish, or I'm uh, Hare Krishna. And I usually tell them, well, I think you should go to your church first, see if you can get any help. They abruptly cut me off and say, I already tried that, and there's nobody there that can help me. That's why I'm here to talk to you. I don't try to convert anybody, but uh, my approach to this is very spiritual and, and from a Catholic Christian angle. So usually I'm much more comfortable working and trying to help people that have been, at, you know, baptized or born again Christian or at least believe in the Holy Trinity and are on board with what I'm trying to do. Because if they're not on board with what I'm trying to do, sometimes I can make things worse, and that's the last thing I want to do. But I always um, uh, try my best, at the very least, if someone's not on board with what I tell them I need from them. I, I at least keep the communication lines open and continue to counsel them and try to talk them through dealing with their ordeal. But I respect everybody's belief system. As long as people come from love and light and they're humble and they love their fellow man and they're a good person and they try to be a good person, um, I support that 100%. So absolutely not. I'm not offended at all. And it's very well said. You could be right. Nobody knows. We're all going to know one day, Mark. And I'll tell you, I stopped drinking many, many years ago because I started experiencing such phenomenal um, things that I wanted to make sure I experienced them in the right state of mind, that I wasn't on drugs, that I wasn't under the influence of alcohol, that what I was experiencing was truly what I'm experiencing. But I'll tell you, when you and I run into each other in heaven, we're going to have to have a pint at the, at the nearest pub, okay? <laughs> yeah, well... As a, I, I was brought up in a Roman Catholic school. I went to a Roman Catholic school and we did, did attend Mass when we was younger, but we sort of slowly 
went out of it. But I always think it's strange that when we have a moment of crisis of need, we all turn to prayer, whatever religion you are. Everybody turns to prayer. You're right. You're absolutely right. I um, I can't tell you how many people that had were, for lack of a better term, let's just call them atheists, had absolutely no belief system whatsoever until they found themselves battling for their very soul and smack dab in the middle of spiritual warfare battle and reach out to me for help. And by the time we're all done and I help them through that crisis, they may not believe exactly what I believe, but they believe in something. They believe that there's good and they believe that there's evil because they know that their evil was trying to do something to them against their will. And obviously something very, very good of a higher power came in and intervened and helped. So they now have some type of belief system and they uh, pray. And even if they don't believe in the Holy Trinity, they will go into prayer and pray to whatever, uh, like you said, whatever this great light energy is above us. They, they just talk as if the, it's right in front of them in plain English and speak and give thanks and praise to this energy and continue to ask this energy to stay in their life and guide them and help them not fall back into the habits they were in that caused whatever it was that attached itself to them to feel like it was invited and it had permission to be there. So even in those circumstances, I feel like I've won and I've done my job, you know. I do believe that the Vatican has got a exorcism department that they don't like to advertise. But obviously, as you know yourself, a lot of priests are taught or learnt how to do an exorcism. So basically, they do believe that there are evil spirits out there, but they just don't want to advertise the fact that they know they exist. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. It's uh, not so much a secret anymore. They actually are trying to recruit. Because, you know, even if you're a priest, you have to feel a calling to want to do this. Uh, I'm working on a book now and that I'm hoping will speak to a lot of clergy. Because so many of my clients come to me and tried to find help in their church and couldn't find it. And I'm teaching courses right now, uh, online courses through the Worldwide Bible College and Theological Seminary for clergy to be a little more open to it so you're not just, you know, turning away people that need your help in a paranormal crisis. But at the Vatican, they just recently opened up a course for laity to come and take exorcism courses with some of the... Uh, most devout and um, blessed exorcists there are in the world there at the Vatican. You just have to come up with your round-trip airfare to Italy, but once you're there, um, and you also have to have the cost of the course, but your room and board is paid for. They shuttle you back and forth from your hotel room to the Vatican every day, and you're there about a week, and every day, all day long you're in, you're one-on-one -on -one with 
being taught by some of the most blessed individuals in the world that have been call, called to this ministry. So my wife is actually trying to save up to send me to this course, um, hopefully within the next couple of years. So I'm excited about it. That was great news for a lot of uh, deliverance ministers as myself to hear that the Vatican opened up a course like that. So I'm hoping to be able to get there. Yeah, as a, yes, I I read the, I was reading the other day about true, real life exorcisms and possessions, and the uh, obviously, the films that were made from them like The Exorcist, and the uh, Emily Rose is it Emily Rose? Yes, exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, very interesting real life cases were very scary. I I think yeah. the. The lady behind Emily Rose, I think she had over 70 exorcisms in one, in a total, I think. I don't know the exact count. There were many of them, yes. But, you know, her, <clears throat> and forgive me that I don't remember exactly the location, what state and what town, but her gravesite to this day is a destination for many uh, pilgrims on a pilgrimage uh, that either have been under attack at one time in their life themselves, or they're devout Catholics and they feel for what she went through, um, deliverance ministers such as myself, priests, many uh, devout uh, people um, of many different denominations go and visit her grave to this day um, because of that. So, yeah, very, um, very sad story. Yes, I think people don't realise that, that when they actually re they, obviously the movies have to um, glorify it a little bit. Let's just say that for argument's sake. But I know The Exorcist is based on a, a story about a boy, not a girl. And the conclusion is that at the end he didn't remember exactly what happened to him. Well, you know what's interesting? You're absolutely right. It was about a young boy, and it wasn't in uh, Georgetown. It actually happened in a, in a state in the Midwest somewhere, if I remember correctly. But, you know, interesting what he does remember? He does remember when St. Michael came into the room, finally at the very end, and cast that demon out that was in him. Uh, the, they couldn't do it. The, the teams of priests that kept tag-teaming one another and going in there and taking over and go, going over the the uh, exorcism rites over and over and over again were just basically holding it at bay but they for whatever reason it had quite the hold on this young child and but the boy remembers seeing Saint Michael come into the room and casting the demon finally casting the demon out of him so if you have to remember anything, and maybe it's good that he doesn't have memory of some of the atrocities that I'm sure this demon did to him, uh, you know, while he was possessed, it's probably better. But what a wonderful memory to have to see St. Michael come in and save you, you know? What do you think causes the gateway for someone to visit? Be possessed, or is there not a gateway as such? Well, I'll be honest with you. Are you ready for this? 
I really don't know what I'm doing. It's not me. When I go to work these cases, I go into deep prayer and meditation to try and ask for any angelic help to come down and be with me and work through me and help me bring this situation to closure. So it's not me really doing anything. It's, it's the help that I'm able to call on. And I'm blessed to be able to have, uh, let's say, uh, an open line of communication to that realm and be able to bring help down when I need it. Um, there are no experts. Nobody knows it all. And I can't really tell you what is the cause for a lot of this. But what I suspect, demons do have rules. There's a lot of inhuman uh, spirits out there that never took over a human form in life. They're just pure evil. There's a lot of people that were alive that were evil, and when they die, they remain evil, and they turn extremely malevolent. And they pretty much, if they didn't have a fear of God in life, they don't have one in death. So it's very hard to fight those spirits. But the demons, believe it or not, they, they have rules they play by. They are usually somewhere because they do believe an invitation has been handed out and that they've been invited in and they're welcome to be there. So, um, I think it could be a range of things. Um, people that have no belief system and do a lot of bad things in life attract that. Um, seances, Ouija boards, Satanism, devil worship, a lot of my clients are ghostbusters that go out ghost hunting with no experience. They just jumped on the bandwagon a few years ago because it seemed to be the cool thing to do. Now they were at the wrong place at the wrong time and did and said the wrong thing, and now something's attached itself to them, and they call me. So I don't think any of us are really sure what brings these on. It could also be, I get a lot of uh, what I call recon blasts here at the home or demonic or paranormal drive-bys at my home and I know many of them are because of what I do but I know a lot of them and I had a, many psychics tell me that my ancestry dating way back to um, the Whittingtons where you live uh, were quite involved in the witch trials and this could be a trans generational curse that has been slapped on me. Um, I, so I don't know. My advice would be just not to mess with that stuff. Just don't mess with it. Don't do any... If you're going to ghost hunt, don't provoke. Be respectful. I'd stay away from the insane asylums. Um, but just be respectful and, uh, and just be careful. I wouldn't play with Ouija boards. I wouldn't buy a lot of antiques that might have a bad energy attached to them. And if you suspect you have any of that in your home, get rid of it. And just try to live a, a, a good life. Don't be a bad person. Because you don't really know. We don't know what attracts these things. But once they get you on their radar, um, it's hard to get rid of them. 
Yes, I, I, I would um, agree with that because I, I, I personally think that the what you do in life is passed on. Like I don't really believe in reincarnation as reincarnation. I think some people given like a, a a little bit of the person that's passed on to help them improve their soul. Yes, I would agree with that. I don't know where, I think I'm on the fence with uh, the whole reincarnation thing. Um, if we remain, if this is our one shot, you better make it good. That's my motto. And if you end up becoming part of a hive, as you put it, of a greater good light and energy, which would be heaven and way up there, as opposed to these real nasty, um, low vibrational things that are very, very, very below that, then I'm okay with that. But, um, you know, it's, it's food for thought. So many people swear, you know, they go into these past life regressions through a hypnotist, a uh, trained hypnotist that knows how to do that, and sometimes they come back with some of the most uh, phenomenal stories about previous lives that they've lived. So I don't know, you know. Um, I heard one guy the other day say he knows that you live for 100 years thereabouts unless something tragic happens but once you go then you're part of this you're part of heaven uh hopefully <laughs> you know you you see the light when you pass on i don't believe the light's offered to everybody i believe if you're a very evil individual you don't see that when you pass but if you see the light and even if you do many spirits at first fear it and they don't cross over because maybe they are a little paranoid about some things they did in life and don't want to be judged. There's no judgment over there. I talk to spirits all the time and tell them there is no judgment, and your loved ones are waiting for you. You need to go, um, and, and you won't regret it. And when you meet Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, you're, you're going to be, it's going to change your spiritual life as you know it, even though you'll already be a spirit, but you need to go and experience this. But reincarnation, you know, if, if you're given, they, they say then, you know, a hundred years or so goes by and you're given an option to come back and do this again, if you think you can do it a better, better at it the next time around, or you have unfinished business, um, I don't really know where, where I lean on that. I don't know if I'd want to come back. I have a great life. I love life. But I just have a feeling I'm going to love being in heaven that much more. I, I think I would be more agreeable to wanting to come back as somebody's guardian, watch over a family member left behind, or, you know, uh, a, a blood relative that's maybe not born yet that I come back later on and watch over as like you said a spirit guide or a guardian angel I could see me wanting to uh, do that more so than just maybe have another go at this uh, life's tough <laughs> it's a great gift but uh, life's tough man you know and I think if 
if you live a good life and you find yourself, you know, on your deathbed with your friends and family around you and your time has come and you see uh, all your friends and family and your guardian angels around you above welcoming you to the other side, I can't think of a better way for, uh, I can't think of a better send-off, can you? I've got an interesting um, uh, anecdote on top of that. Years ago, I used to work in mental health, and a lady we uh, that we helped care for had Huntington's career. Anyway, we had to go into her room because uh, obviously she was dying. And before she passed away, I felt as if something had left her. Now, I can't explain that. I didn't see it or... I just sensed that something had gone. You know, the the shell was there, but the spirit or the whatever we like, whatever people want to call it, had gone gone away. Absolutely, I agree with you hundred percent. You you have some sensitivity to yourself. Uh, you probably underestimate. Um, your own sensitivity, the level of your sensitivity, because uh, most people don't, aren't able to sense even that. So for you to sense that, and I believe you did actually sense that, and I think that happens. Of course, this is just a shell. You know, our, I, I believe our soul and our energy is endless, and uh, when the shell's done, you know, it's, it's time to move on, <laughs> you know? I've, I, I, I think I'm correct, and I've, I've mentioned this before to other people, and they think I'm right, that when they do an autopsy, there's always a 20-gram discretion they cannot explain, even though they've done, you know, the, the deterioration of the body and whatever. But there's always like a 20-gram discretion that they cannot explain at all. Very interesting. I did not know that. Very interesting. I will look it up on the um, our friend Google, because there is information out there. I mean, I can't prove it as a scientific fact, but there are there, there's lots of things out there that say there's there's like twenty. I, I think it's twenty grams. I might be wrong, but there's like a so many grams difference to an, every autopsy they do that, that they cannot explain, even despite. You know, they do all the various things that they do when they do an autopsy. Yeah, you know, there's a reason why they call it uh, the other side of the veil, the spirit realm, um, the world beyond. It's exactly that. And although I admire all these scientists and doctors that try to find a scientific... Uh, put a scientific reason about every unexplained phenomena, but it's not going to happen. I don't think um, it won't happen in our lifetime, and I don't think it's going to ever happen that it'll be, you know, a lot of the phenomena that people in the paranormal community experience can be uh, proven or debunked or found a reason for it just it's not meant to be it's always going to be meant to be something mysterious 
that we're supposed to have wonderment about. And that's why it's going to be so wonderful to have all the answers one day when that time comes. Well, I think that we should... I mean, I don't... I used to not like talking about death, and I admit that. But I've learned that you, it needs to be talked about because it's the one thing that we all got in common in the world, no matter what war or religions or disputes we have in the world. And during the Victorian times over in the UK, it was embraced. But I don't think it's embraced so much now because I, I blame the adverts on the telly for the funeral plans. That you get inundated so much that you don't want to bring the subject up. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, I've experienced so much of it, especially here in the past few years um, with uh, close friends passing, my parents passing, um, my wife um, originally not being expected to survive uh, her cancer when it first it came on strong and hit her. Um, and for her to make it through that, but we're still battling. There's still battles ahead with that. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't, it, it is, as hard as it is to talk about it, you're right. It needs to be talked about. And, um, and ultimately there's just, you know, 20 years ago, I probably would have said this. But I absolutely don't fear death now because of some of the things I've seen and I've experienced. I'm not looking forward to you and I getting out for this interview, walking out my bedroom door and having a massive coronary in my hallway. I know that there's still work for me to do, and I'm not ready to go yet. But if it's God's will and it's, you know, what he wants, fine. But um, I'm not afraid of death. And I hope that uh, anybody that's listening to this that might be uh, can get over that because um, really it's, it's, it's the people I've been, I've seen, just like you, I've seen some people take their last breath and uh, right before that, uh, just the expression on their face, it's, uh, they're seeing something, they're experiencing something wonderful. Um, of course... It's not a tragedy, you know, if you, you know, I get out of my car and I run over to somebody that's been in a car accident and thrown from his vehicle and he's laying on the side of the road dying, that's different. But if it's not a tragic death and it's somebody who's dying of an illness or of old age, right at that last moment, I can, I can tell something wonderful happens to them. I don't know what, but um, I, I personally don't fear death. I find it strange that when um, when people are on the verge of dying, that they have, like, saying what I call one good day. Well, say they're really, really ill, and then suddenly they have a day where they want a roast dinner, they want their friends with them, they're chatty, they're joking. They're like their real selves, just for that one day. As if it's like a bonus prize for the relatives yeah. to remember. Yeah. I, you know what? It's so I'm so glad you brought that up because I I was I hadn't thought about that, but 
that's a great point. And uh, it brought a smile to my face because I've seen that many times. And it's, um, it's wonderful. You know, I had a good friend of mine that I grew up with. And somewhere along the lines in our late teens, 20s, you know, we went separate ways. And he moved to, you know, the East Coast. We lost contact for many years. But when we hooked back up, uh, he was dying of uh, advanced colon cancer. And he absolutely had no belief system at all. And this was when my wife was really, really, really sick. And um, I would go to bed next to her every night thinking, I'm going to wake up in the morning and she's going to be dead. And he called me just hours before he passed. And he told me that he had just seen God. And God told him to tell me that Sharon wasn't going to die. And for me to continue to fight those responsible because at the time I was in denial as to exactly what brought on her illness and I also felt a little guilty too because I was the one that drug her into being a paranormal investigator with me so I there was some guilt there too but that was a wonderful message to get from him and I knew that he was violently ill but he seemed so normal at the time he called me and happy and in good spirits you know even though I wasn't there I could tell that over the phone and feel it feel the vibe so yeah that is that's pretty amazing that that happens well I found that I mean I could speak for when my wife went into hospital she was very ill and I got a phone call when I was I was down the gym at the time and the doctor said oh we've got to respect the words which obviously never happened but um I, I think that when you're apart from someone that you really care for, you have this feeling that you... It's like a empty feeling that you can't explain to people. You just feel empty. You, you feel... Um, and it stays with you all the time. You try to occupy your mind, you try everything. But you have this, like, empty feeling... Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad that, are, is your wife still with you? Yes, 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 she's much better now, thank you. Well, good for you. And how are you? I know you, uh, I read somewhere where you had struggled with some health issues. How are you doing? Well, I have a um, neurology, pro neurology problems, and I have mild, small vessel disease of the brain, which affects my cognitive skills like speech, memory, stuff like that. And basically I'm only on low level, I'm not like high level. But it's very difficult to get help. Because basically I've done every test known to man. And they say, oh, it's not dementia. They say, yeah, I said, well, thank you for that. It's not Alzheimer's. It's like, oh, yeah, great, thing. We say, I'm, I, I, yeah, I don't want that, fine, you know. Because my dad had early dementia. But I feel like I'm... I, and there must be other people similar to me who've got the same problem, but we're not medically we we're real, but we're not ill enough. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, brother. It's uh, it's been a pleasure uh, to meet you. You're a you're a good man. 
I like you, and I will add you and your wife to the prayer list. Everybody always gets a little giggle out of this when I say that, and but it's true. I have this huge list with all these names on it, and if I add you to it, I may not sit there one by one. It would take me hours and hours to sit there and name everybody one by one when I go into prayer, but I do lay hands on this list when I pray for all my friends and I will add you and your wife to the prayer list, and I will pray for you, okay? Okay. Could you add my friend on there as well? He's, he and his wife, his wife's um, awaiting some uh, news at the moment, and it, they don't know which way it's going. Okay, what's her name? Her name is Karina Downs. Karina Downs. Downs, D-O-D... W-N-E-S and the, her husband is called Jonathan Downs okay thank you for that you're welcome they're on there right now okay spell that last name for me one more time D-W-N V as in Victor yeah D for D for Duck O for, okay. o for orange, W for water, N for nothing, E for echo, S for sugar. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jonathan and Karina Downs. I will pray for them, brother, I promise. And I, I like to thank you for doing this for me. And I will send oh, some healing energy yeah, to it's you. It's my pleasure, but before I let you go, or before you let me go, what have you, I wasn't quite sure if it was an hour or two hours, but before you let me go, I want you on my show, and while I have you as a captive audience here, you may not be able to say yes right now, but I'll throw it at you. I only have two dates left open for my show before the end of the year, mm-hmm. and that's the two first Mondays in December the 3rd and the 10th. So after we get off, take a look at your calendar, take a look at your schedule. 3rd and the 10th. And see if any, either one of those uh, look good for you. And if so, I'd I like can to answer you, you now, sir. I am totally free at those times. I have nothing booked that far advance yet. Yeah, well, I, you know what? I, I never did that, but so many people reach out wanting between the people that I want on the show and the people that I might not have reached out to yet that want to be on that reach out to me I find myself always booked about four months in advance the downside is you know a lot can happen in that time oh yeah 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 sometimes you know and and you just you just adjust but you will I'll send you a private message after we uh, after we're done here and find out which one of those two Mondays you want and um, we will continue this wonderful conversation before the year ends. And that's a great time of the year for us to talk about angels and heaven and oh, oh yes, I, I, I like it. And, and I want to hear some. And, and then I want to hear some of your ghost stories and your ghost adventures and what you got going on there. Hallsworthy Devon sounds like a wonderful place. And I'd like to just listen about and hear about where you live. We have a link to Australia and, and the founding of Australia. Because if you look up Holzervy in Australia, you'll see the connection with a lady called 
I think his name's Elizabeth something, begins with an M. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But she was a governess that was married to the governor of New South Wales at the time. And they founded the colonies, the colony, helped the colony over there. And there's lots of buildings named after her. How wonderful, yeah. The land down under, the haunted land down under. And I'm going to send some healing energy to you and your wife as well. Thank and you, sir. And keep you in my prayers. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Anytime you need anything, Mark, we're friends on Facebook. You know how to reach me. Uh, don't ever hesitate to reach out to me for anything. Okay, sir? Is there anything you'd like to mention before we go? Any links to your radio show or books or anything you've got well, coming up? Well, anybody out there, well, my book, I've been struggling to get it done. I have a couple of publishers already ready to publish it, but I have to finish it first. Um, but if anybody needs to reach out to me, I'm easy to find. My website is ghost, G-H-O-S-T, dash, B as in boy, dash, gone, G-O-N-E, dot biz. That's the website. I also have a ghostbegone.biz, one word, Facebook page. I've got my personal Facebook page, Sean Whittington, and under my name is the title Reverend Sean Whittington. So there's many, many ways you can reach out to me. And once again, I've uh, got the Vegas Supernatural radio show on kcorradio.com, which is every Monday night, 5 p.m. Pacific in the States. And I believe that's 1 a.m. in the morning in the U.K., but for those that can't stay up that late in the UK, and I have a big following out there, they can always catch the archive and the replay and download it for free in the morning. Um, but I'm easy to find if you need to reach out for me. And if you're called to this ministry, clergy or laity, I'm teaching two classes online through the Worldwide Bible College and Theological Seminary, Introduction to Spiritual Warfare and Introduction to Paranormal Ministry. Each course will give you three credits toward a college degree. So if you take both courses, that's a possible total of six credits towards a college degree. And you get a beautiful certificate diploma with that, completing of the courses. And um, you can email me at seanlvnv at hotmail.com for information on the classes. And that's about it. Other than that, I'm just a very boring person <laughs> I'm sure that's not true Sean I'm sure <laughs> it's not true thank you brother that's okay thank you